Amen. That's great. <clears throat> All right. Good morning. If you turn your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 13, we are going through the love chapter as it's known to be. We're going to zoom in at verse 4 this morning and um, maybe by give, begin by giving a little bit of context because I think we're tempted to think that, that Paul wrote <clears throat> this love chapter because they were having so many weddings in Corinth or something like that. Um, maybe uh, that's what you believe, but, um, but it wasn't that. Paul's not just trying to give a, a general definition for love. Um, he wrote this to a fairly young church in a very uh, booming metropolis city called Corinth. It was very affluent. Think New York City or Chicago. It's very spiritual uh, mecca of the time. <clears throat> lots of gods, lots of temples. And these young Christians were pretty zealous to be spiritual. They're, they're zealous to have knowledge and um, you know, gain these incredible gifts for God. But their lives were full of sin. Lots of pride, lots of jealousy going on. <clears throat> Lots of fighting with each other. So, so Paul writes this chapter on love to kind of lay it over their heart issues. Just like one would lay a blanket over a fire that they're trying to calm down. Paul's not defining love. He's applying love to their situation. And <clears throat> saying to them and to us today that it's possible to be a very spiritual person and yet miss the heart of Christianity which is deep love for one another. So with that in mind, we're going to zoom in to verse 4 and look at envy. The aspect of love where we would look at envy. And I encourage you that no matter what your spiritual level is this morning, that you would allow God to search your heart and to expose any envy you might have and realize that God really desires to set you free to love at a different level, a freeing way in a freeing way so let's read verse 4 short verse we'll read it together first corinthians 13 verse 4 love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant let's pray gracious heavenly father we are completely dependent upon you if there's going to be any kind of heart work done this morning. Holy Spirit, would you speak through your word, which is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts to the division of soul and marrow, exposes the motivations and intentions of the heart. And that's what we need to have done. So this isn't just an average, so it's just not a lecture. But it really is a time where we feel... We're in the presence of God and you are speaking to us and you are changing us so that we can become more like you intended us to be, set free to love in all sincerity, free of envy and boasting. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the famous preacher D.L. Moody uh, once told a fable of, about an eagle who was envious of another eagle that could fly much better than him. So one day the eagle saw a hunter down below and he, he goes to this other eagle and 
I mean, to this hunter and he says, look how great that eagle can fly. What if you could shoot him down? And um, the hunter said, I, I would if I only had some feathers for my my um, my arrows here. So the, the eagle um, quickly pulled out one of his wings and gave it to the hunter. And he, the hunter shot the arrow and it fell short because the eagle was flying too high. So the eagle, the first eagle then quickly pulled out another feather and said, quick, t- quick take another shot. Hunter missed again. So the eagle pulls out another feather and hands it to him. He misses again and another feather. He misses again another feather. Pretty soon, uh, he had lost so many feathers that he couldn't fly. And the hunter took the helpless bird home for his catch. <laughs> the story demonstrates in a pretty silly way um, how serious and dangerous envy can be in our lives. But also how subtle and hidden it often is to us. I led a Sunday school class one time at my last church called, uh, through a book called Respectable Sins by Jerry, Jerry uh, Bridges. And he wrote this for a lot, for, with a target audience, he says, of conservative evangelicals who are so preoccupied with the major sins of society and yet lose sight of the need to deal with our more refined, subtle sins. And Envy easily made a chapter of his book. Oz Guinness, in his famous book called The, the Call, said that envy is, is traditionally regarded as the second worst and second most da- uh, prevalent of the seven deadly sins. Isn't that interesting? He says, like pride, it's a sin of the spirit, not of the flesh. And thus a cold and highly respectable sin, in contrast to the warm and openly disrespectful Disreputable sins of the flesh, such as gluttony. Envy is dangerous because it's a matter of our hearts and not easy to identify with and deal with in our heart, in our lives. For example, I asked um, several people this week, I said, what do you feel like you most envy? And the answer didn't seem to just readily be on the tip of their tongues. Because it's just more subtle, it's hidden. It requires rather you to, if you were to ask yourself right now, what do you envy? Who do you envy? It requires you to kind of go downstairs into the, the basement of your heart and search around a little bit. I realize that's probably not a good analogy here in Florida. <laughs> <clears throat> Love is no doubt something that is celebrated in the, not just in the church, but in society widely right now regardless of your religious beliefs most everyone would say that they want to be a more loving person but i think few are willing to do what paul shows here is required to actually progress in love we must allow god into the basement of our hearts where he can reveal such things as the evil of our envy but it's here that he will reveal also the the blessings of a life of love without envy and boasting so let's dive into this we're going to look at just these few things, the evil of envy and boasting, and the blessings of a life of love, and then lastly, how we can change. So let's look first at the evil of envy and boasting. The word here used for envy, it means to have a zeal or deep desire for something or someone. It's actually used in a positive sense at times, such as uh, the previous chapter, the last verse, verse 31. Paul encourages them to eagerly desire the greater gifts. Same word. But this desire quickly turned sinful into envy when they began to compare their gifts that they had with other people that had different gifts. Either better or worse. 
It's not enough to be gifted in one area when another seemed to be more gifted in that area. The good desire turned into a deep desire to have what the other had. Now, wanting what another has is still not inherently wrong or sinful. It's, it's, it's not wrong to see one with a nicer house or a nicer car and, or who, who um, makes better grades than you or you know, wish you were smarter or wish you had more. Envy begins when you begin to, to desire that you had that instead of them. Jonathan Edwards defined envy like this. A spirit of opposition to others, comparative happiness. It's a spirit of opposition. St. Augustine said it's begrudging God's gifts to others. Aquinas defined it as a sorrow and another's, another good as compared to my own. And John of Damascus said... It's a sorrow in the face of your neighbor's good. That's how they define it. So you can kind of get the idea of what envy is. Who cannot relate with the story of a young girl who really wants a certain doll for Christmas? And then she opens up her gifts on Christmas morning and it happens to be the exact doll that she really wanted. She's so excited. And then all of a sudden, her sister opens her gift. And her sister opens the gift, and it's it's a different doll. It seems to have a little bit better hair. (laughs) And a little bit more, a few more accessories. The desire for an excitement over her doll so quickly turns into a sorrow at her sister's good as compared to her own. You might say it in this way. Envy is what we so subtly feel in our heart when we see something or someone who seems to be better than us or has, or some, or has something more than us. And we subtly resent it. We resent them for even having it. We wish it was our own. This is why envy is not really easy to deal with. We just can't make a decision, make a choice this morning to just stop envying. Okay, I'm going to leave here. Everybody just, that actually would have made for really easy sermon prep. (laughs) Everybody just don't envy. Stop envying. It's not a choice. It's something we feel because it comes out of our heart. For example, some of you are really car people. Some of you love cars, just as an example. Just think you might uh, replace it for something you really love. And you love cars, you know exactly what kind of car you'd want if you had enough money to get it. And suppose you're driving down the highway, and then someone you uh, pulls up beside you in the left lane with your dream car. And then they start to pass you by, as if in slow motion, and the, the guy inside suddenly kind of glances over you and smiles. And then he races off. I don't think that you at that time consciously start making a decision, you know, decision-making progress. Hmm, wonder if I should envy that guy in the car. Yep, I think I will. Uh, Now I'm I'm envying you. Now I will decide to act as if I didn't really want your car. And I might even speed up and pass you to show that my car really goes fast as well. (laughs) Now envy... 
it, it responds more like a light switch. It just happens in our hearts. And this points us to consider what the real problem behind envy is. The heart of our envy is a pride in how we view ourselves. See, our first problem is not the, the desire for what something for what someone has, it's our rather our desire to be first. It's a heart problem that needs to be higher or better or superior than someone else around us. So when someone else has something we want, it makes us it makes us feel inferior. <clears throat> right? It challenges our self worth. We don't just need to have it, we need to have it instead of them in order to make ourselves feel better than them. When someone else near us succeeds, it makes us feel lower and exposes our failure. It's hard to celebrate them because we have a desire to be superior or better than them. This is why C.S. Lewis uh, most profoundly wrote in Mere Christianity, he said, Pride it gets no pleasure out of having something. Only out of having more of it than the next man. We say good people are proud, or say people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're really not. They're proud of, they're proud of being richer, cleverer, or better looking than others. Isn't that profound? I think it is. <clears throat> it's so true. This really helped me see the correlation in our text when it says that love does not envy or boast. See, at first I was like, Matt, Why'd you give me these two words? Like now it's like two different sermons. Um, I don't I don't know how to get. I got to preach one on envy and boasting. Uh, it seems like boasting would go with arrogant, but this really helped me see the correlation in our text when it says love does not envy or boast. Paul's trying to say to these Christians in Corinth and to us, he says envy is what we feel when when we feel that we're more important. Or when we are important, but we see someone else who has an advantage over us. Boasting is what we feel when when we feel that we are important and we see someone that has an advantage over, or that we have an advantage over. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) Envy is what we feel when we feel that we are important, but we see someone that has an advantage over us. Boasting is when we feel important, but we see someone else that we feel that we have an advantage over. We envy when we have an inferior view of ourselves compared to others. We boast when we feel like we have a superior view of ourselves to others. Does that make sense? I'll track in. Okay. Both feelings come from pride, from feeling that we are important. So let me, let me get to some application. If we want to go on and looking at envy, what should we look for? What do you want to, what should you look for in your life? Let me encourage you to look at three things. Your gifts, your goods, and your glory. Gifts, goods, and glory. Okay? Number one, gifts. Gifts, the things that you're really good at. Look at the things you're really good at. Much of the problem with the Christians in Corinth led to do, led back to this. Their spiritual gifts, what they're talented or gifted at. Some felt more gifted than others and they were boasting. Others felt less gifted. I'm not that. I can't do that in the church. And they felt like they were less valuable. They were envying those gifts. Os Guinness says that we are always most vulnerable to envying those closest to our own gifts and callings. In other words, musicians generally envy musicians 
not politicians, politicians, other politicians, sports people, other sports people, professors and other professors, ministers, other ministers. Imagine if you and I visited another church and you're a gifted musician and, and say, let's just pretend I was a gifted preacher for a moment. <laughs> um, if we go to that service, when they start to play the music and it's incredible, I'm just freed to kind of enjoy the worship. But you might be tempted to envy them because they sing or play better than you. But then they get to the sermon and this guy's just knocking it out of the boat. Great illustrations and powerful points. You're soaking it in. But guess what I might be tempted to do? Envy his gifts. So the question is, what are you really good at or most desire to be good at? And then ask yourselves, who are those around you that are better than you? There, look for envy. And find those who are not as good at you at that. Look there for boasting. What about goods? When I asked a friend um, this week what he's envying, he did happen to have something at the tip of his tongue because his sister had just bought the exact 65-inch OLED TV that he has wanted. So he uh, jokingly said, that's a no-brainer. But some of us... Our hearts really are set on the next gadget or the next big thing. And, and when somebody else gets it, it, it pricks at our hearts. Um, in fact, in light of the sermon, I'm sure, um, I'm thinking actually of getting another car. Um, I'm sure some of you are envying every time you pull into the uh, church and you see my 03 Volkswagen Passat. You have to do this heart work. Um, boy, I wish I had an antique like that. No. <laughs> um, but, you know, it might be, it might be a TV, it might be, you know, a car house, but it could even be a relationship where you envy a friendship that someone else has with something, things like that. What thing do you really wish you had? What thing do you really wish you had? Who are those who have that? Look for envy in your heart there. Get around those who have less or worse of that thing you want and look there for boasting. What about glory? This is one of the probably most convicting things to me, areas to me. It pricks my heart the most. This is a desire to have the success or honor that someone else is getting around you. It's desiring to have the applause the other speaker is getting. It's the desire to have the credit at work another got instead of you when you thought you deserved it. It's seeing someone else's children behaving better and feeling incomplete compared to their parenting. It's seeing someone else um, who you think is prettier or skinnier and wishing that was you instead of them. It's hearing of someone else's grades that are better if you're in school and desiring that you were smarter than they were. The success and honor of others, it screams to us so easily that we have failed. We're just not as good as we think we are. In our pride, we feel inferior. We resent them for making us feel it. As one famous successful author <clears throat> said, whenever a friend succeeds, it's like something in me actually dies. So we ask the question, what success or honor do you really long for? What's going on in your heart there? Or what area of life? Who around you has achieved that or is on their way to getting it? Look for envy there. Get around people who are less less successful than you 
or has less honor, look for boasting in your heart there. So those are some of the what's to look for. Let me just close this point with where to look for it. You know, Aristotle once called envy the sin against the brother. Because we are most tempted to feel envy towards those who are right around us, our brothers and sisters. And, and so here are a couple of those examples. If you're wondering where to look, look at your family and your friends that are closest to you. It's not the random guy's car usually that can get to us. It's the fact that our brother our best friend, our good friend, or somebody in our life group just got that car. Um, it's our closest friend's gifts and glory. Look at school at work. It's, it's not Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos that are the movie stars that we envy. It's our coworker, or classmates that succeeds at something or has a little bit more than us. Look at social media. You know, we used to only have a, a handful of people around us in which to compare our gifts to, um, our goods or our glory. And I'm, I'm not anti-social media, but man, there's been so many studies about this that show what this does to our hearts in, ter- in terms of envy. And um, man, I think we're just immune to when we look at thousands of images of people who, have be- who are better at this or have more than that. Watch videos of families at the beach. We wish we had that vacation time. Kids laughing. We want our family to be like that. Driving the newest 2018 Honda Odyssey that we drool over. I just lost most of you there. (laughs) Um, Don't be naive when you spend time looking at lots of other people and their posts or their online stories. One reason... Um, I don't spend as much time on social media is because of this. I, I think I'm weaker than a lot of people. I don't think I can see all those things. And, and my heart not envy those who have more or are better and, or, or boast over those who, are, um, who have less. Although that's generally not the case on social media because we put forth our, our best. Um, let us not be tempted to think that just because envy and boasting is a subtle, respectable sin that's not as obvious and more outward as the big sins of adultery or murder that is any less serious or, adul- or, or dangerous in your life. It was because of pride and envy that Satan was cast out of heaven. He said in his heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Envy caused Cain not just to hate God for, accepting, for not accepting his offering, but hate his brother's advantage his success and kill Abel. Envy caused Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. Envy filled Saul when he heard women singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And therefore he tried to kill him. Even Pilate recognized that it was because of envy, he said, that, they were, that the religious Jews were handing Jesus over to be killed. Envy did that. James 3 says that where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil thing. C.S. Lewis went as far as saying that you could picture hell itself as a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and advantage and advancement. Where everyone has a grievance and where everyone lives in the deadly serious passions of envy, self-importance and resentment. If God gave you over to the envy in your own heart, and to the extent he has, 
It has been hell in those areas. And hell will be the, the removal of any grace to see progression in love. Envy and boasting both come from a proud heart and are evil. And doesn't it leave you with a desire to dig that out? <laughs> to discern it and dig it up? So what would it look like if we saw God help us grow in love? Let me. This is a short point about the benefits of a life of love. I think it's important that we see this. It's so attractive, the way the Bible uh, portrays it. Proverbs 14.30 says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, they didn't have refrigeration, of course, back when Solomon wrote Proverbs. So the writer was exposed, Solomon was exposed to meat that's laid out in the sun, it just rots, or bodies even. They didn't have proper burial, and they would, they would see this decaying of the flesh. And rotting was a metaphor that something that we, was weakened or ultimately took the freshness and even life away from something or someone. And that's what he said, this proverb says envy will do to us. The opposite of this, he says, is not simply not rotting, but he says a heart of peace that gives life to the body. Peace. There, it means to heal or, or restore. It's a picture of something wounded or sick being restored to full strength and health. Have you ever broken something and suffered through weeks or months of limping or being in a cast? And then one day you get out of it and your body part gets stronger and stronger. It's healed to complete restoration. Some of you even have even had that happen with cancer in your life. This is what happens as we begin to repent of our pride and our envy and our boasting. We should expect new health in our relationships with ourselves and with others around us. New strength and peace in our hearts and our minds. We should, be, we should expect to be set free to really genuinely take an interest in others. C.S. Lewis described this type of humble person who is full of life. He says he calls him a cheerful chap who takes a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him at all, it would be because you feel a little bit envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Can you imagine what it would be like to walk in to your school or your office at work or a party with friends and not be thinking of yourself at all? but rather in every conversation have a genuine interest in what others are saying to you? Can you imagine seeing someone that is better at you than something that you really want to be good at and then you, you really feel happy for them and hope that they get better at it without even thinking about yourself? Can you imagine someone else having the thing that you most want and being happy that they get to enjoy it so much without thinking whether or not you had it or not? Can you imagine someone else succeeding at something you really want to be good at? Or even beating you at that thing and being for them and their success? Can you imagine that? Romans 12.10 calls us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine if you're so set free from envy and boasting where you constantly look for ways for others to get honor when you're around them and be seen as better than you? Where envy leads us to rejoice when others weep and weep when they rejoice. Love leads us to rejoice with those who rejoice. 
and actually come up under and weep with those who weep. Love turns the heart longing and zeal, jealousy even, outward towards others where your deep concern is for their success and their advantage and their good. It's, it's not easy to love like this. But if we move towards it, we'll find an unbelievable healing in our souls. People will walk into UPC and find a, a bunch of humble chaps full of life and free to love. And so, lastly, how do you move towards that? How do we actually change? You know, I said in the first point that you can't just choose to be less envious or boast. Stop boasting. It just comes out of your heart as you come into contact with someone who has more than you or less than you in the things that you really want. If you want to change and increase in love without envying boasting, you have to deal with the part of us on the inside that needs to be higher or superior than others around us. We need to deal with the part of us that feels insecure or inferior to those around us who have those things. So how do we actually do that? Some of you have heard of uh, this study. Some of the studies have been done in some of the orphanages around the world, such as like Russia or Romania, where some of these uh, orphanages decided to just care for the baby's basic needs, change their diapers, give them food, without actually giving them any affection. They were fed and changed, but never held and loved. And they found out that even though these babies can't remember these early days, a high percentage of them grew up with major emotional and psychological issues. It showed, the study showed, that children, they learn to love and relate with others not by somebody, them growing up and somebody telling them that they... Uh, what love is, and that they need to do it better. We learn to love by experiencing love. We learn to love by experiencing love. If we want to change an increasingly love without envy and boasting, we've got to experience being perfectly loved. As John, 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And that's what That's what John is teaching us. So I want to finish by just sharing three quick ways that you have been loved by God who has adopted you in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the God who's adopted you, loved you in in a couple, in lots of ways. This isn't the full summary, but let me, let me share three. Number one, God has given you, God gave you the gifts that you have. God gave you the gifts that you have. Paul says this in the previous chapter in verse 18. He said, God arranged each member of the body. When God made you in your mother's womb, he, he, he arranged you with the unique gifts and talents that you have. If you have the gift of singing and, or serving and not speaking and leadership, it's because a perfect God who loves you decided to give you one and withhold another. Paul says it in a different way in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, why do you think you're superior? What do you have that you have not received? And if you've received it, why would you boast as if you hadn't received it? Yeah, I always think it's humorous when, to me when my kids get something as a gift. You know, I gave it to them. They didn't work for it or do anything for it. And then they go out and boast to somebody else as if they had gained it or earned it. It's a received gift. The giver of the gift deserves the glory. Not you. It's not about you. Billy Graham once said, if God ever takes his hands off me, my lips would turn to clay. 
Here's a guy whose gifts have been used to impact millions as we know, but saying things like this makes me think his heart was not consumed by envying or boasting because he was convinced that whatever gifts he had, it was only because a loving God had given them to him. God gave you your your gifts. Number two, God gives you the goods that you need. God has never felt, think about, let's just think about God for a minute. He's never felt any need or lack of something. He's a creator and owner of everything good. It says in Psalm 50 that God, that every beast of the forest, God says this, every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. And yet here's what's amazing about that. God, with all things, never needing anything, he, he chose for his son to be born to very poor parents and live most of his life without any goods. And yet never once did Jesus feel envy for those who had more than him. And never once did he feel sinful pride or boast arrogantly over those who had less. And in both ways, unbelievably true. He didn't do this simply as an example for us to follow. He could, we could never follow in that example. He lived a righteous life without envy and boasting so he could go to a cross and be punished for our envy and our boasting that you may have felt and hopefully felt this morning. He did this not because we were so great and worthy of it, for nothing in you and me made us better or more superior than anyone else. It was pure grace. And this means a couple things. On the one hand, as Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for you and he delivered up his own son for you, how will he, to make you his sons and daughters, to adopt you into his family, how will he not also in Christ freely give you all things that you need, those things that you think you want? God is providing for those things that you need. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, in light of his plan to love us like this, why worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will wear? Your your heavenly father, the one who owns the cows and the cars, the one who sacrificed so much to adopt you, he knows what you need. No need to compare or long for what others have. God gives us the goods we need. And then on the other hand, lastly, God guarantees, because of this, He guarantees us the honor that we long for, or the glory. The more we come to realize that you and I did nothing to deserve such love, that we brought nothing to the table, and it wasn't because of our spiritual gifts, our innate glory, or successes that we had to offer, then the less we will be able to feel superior compared to anyone else for what they have more than us. Or less than us. And the less we will boast. The more we come to realize God directed his love and attention on us. And sacrificed so much for us. And adopted us into his family with great zeal to provide for us. Keep us in his love for all eternity. The less we'll be able to feel inferior. Compared to anyone else. Or what they have more than us. And the less we will envy them. Charles Spurgeon said that the cure for envy lies in living under a constant sense of the divine presence, worshiping God and communing with him all the day long. The more of heaven there is in our lives, the less of earth we shall covet. The fear of God casts out the envy of men. So I encourage you to go forth. Let us go forth from here with a commitment to live in this fear of God and to experience his great love. 
If we boast, as Paul says, may it be a boasting only in the cross. And then move towards others with a sincere, zealous, free love for them and their good, void of envying and boasting. Let's pray. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, in the full sense of the word Father, None of us have had a perfect father here on earth and so we can't imagine what it's like for to have a God who is zealous, even jealous, for your own glory and to bring us into that by sacrificing your own son. I pray, Father, as we have experienced a taste of your love this morning, we would be free to go out from here and really love others and put to death by the power of the Holy Spirit any envying or boasting there is within us. In Jesus' name, amen.